Patriots, assemble! We don't mess around. We don't waste time. Over here at his hard line. Let's go! from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. Greetings and good day to all you ladies and gentlemen out there. I am Jason, your co-host with our sovereign Lord and Savior Christ Jesus at our side because he is the host with the most and the most high. He is in charge. He is in the captain's chair. He's at the helm and behind the wheel. Therefore, he is steering this great ship through these crazy rough waters that we call life. So welcome to His Heart Line. Today is Monday, November 6, 2023, and you are listening to episode 629. We'll be doing a reading of Job chapter 29, and we might possibly go into a little bit of a topic called societal toxicity. That's right. Daily disclaimer. I want to clarify that I am not a doctor, holistic health expert, financial advisor, pastor, priest, deacon, biblical scholar, or bar lawyer, and I do not possess any titles of nobility or offer legal advice, and I do not have a political degree or have had any involvement with any unconstitutional three-letter corrupt agencies like the CIA FBI. And while I am a member of the Michigan General Jural Assembly, I am not the official face or voice of the national, state, or county assembly. And I also want to emphasize that I have no affiliation with other groups who try to mimic the lawful assembly, such as the American States Assembly, National Liberty Life Force, Beacon 37, Rusa, and Tactical Civics, or any other organizations outside the Michigan model. And I'm not involved with any fraudulent status correct associated with AVR, Bobby Lawrence, David Strait, and company. And furthermore, I do not endorse or advocate for violence. I'm not a party to any deep state cult, Freemasons, and nor am I one of the many reprobative miscreants who are actively trying to implode the General General Assemblies across this land. And please note that the opinions, thoughts, and statements expressed on this platform are solely my own and for educational purposes. Otherwise, unless otherwise referenced. So there you go. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I do apologize for not doing the live. I actually had an old friend of mine who was also a a former uh, supervisor of mine, but now we are friends. Um, Katie actually had to, you know, cut him some vinyl because he he's building some um, uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, Cornhole boards. And so he's making a couple set of boards for uh, somebody he knows and and so to put a design on those boards, Katie had to cut something in vinyl for him. And so anyways, he came over next, thing you know, we were talking and we were BSing and time got away. And next thing you know, I'm like, well, there goes the live broadcast. So 
it's I guess tonight's just going to be a drop. And remember, tomorrow is going to be a no podcast day because tomorrow I have a Bible study that I'm going to be attending after work. So just FYI, tomorrow will be no podcast dropped at all. Okay, so anyways. Without further ado, because it is late for me, but I did not want to let the night get away without at least doing a Bible reading. So Job chapter 29 out of the Dewey Reams 1899 American Edition Bible is what I'm reading out of today, starting with verse 1. And Job also added, taking up his parable and said, Who will grant me that I might be according to the months pass according to the days in which God kept me? When his lamp shined over my head and I walked by his light in darkness as I was in the days of my youth when God was secretly in my tabernacle, when the Almighty was with me and my servants round about me. When I was washed my feet when I washed my feet with butter and the rock poured me out rivers of oil. When I went out of the gate of the city and in the street They prepared me a chair. The young man, the young men saw me and hid themselves, and the old men rose up and stood. The princes ceased to speak and laid the finger on their mouth. The rulers held their peace, and their tongue cleaved to their throat. The ear that heard me blessed me, and the eye that saw me gave witness to me, because I had delivered the poor man that cried out, and the fatherless that had no helper. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I comforted the heart of the widow. I was clad with justice, and I clothed myself with my judgment, as with a robe and a diadem. I was an eye to the blind, and a foot to the lame. I was the father of the poor, and the cause which I knew not. I searched out most diligently. I broke the jaws of the wicked man, and out of his teeth I took away the prey, and I said, I shall die in my nest, and as a palm tree shall multiply my days. My root is open besides the water, and dew shall continue in my harvest. My glory shall always be renewed, and my bow, my bow in my hand shall be repaired. They that heard me waited for my sentence, and being attentive held their peace at my counsel. To my words they durst add nothing, and my speech dropped upon them. They waited for me as a, as for rain, and they opened their mouth as for a latter shower. If any time I laughed on them, they believed not, and the light of my countenance fell not on earth. If I had a mind to go to them, I sat first, and when I sat as a king with his army standing about him, yet I was a comforter of them that mourned. And that is the reading of Job chapter 29. Now, in these verses, we see Job is reminiscing here, right? He's reminiscing about a time when he was in the prime of his life, right? He was surrounded by wealth. He had comfort all around him. And he recalls his days when his lamp shined brightly and he was guided. His path was guided through the darkness. However, what truly stands out are the actions and the values that he held dear during those times. See, Job's story teaches us about the importance of gratitude. And we need to not take the good times that we experience for granted, but more importantly, what we need to do is we need to cherish them and we need to recognize that they are gifts from God. 
See, in our own lives, we need to appreciate the moments of light and happiness and joy because that is what's often going to guide us through our darkest hours. That's the first lesson we can take away from this. The second lesson. Job's character is defined by his commitment to helping others. And he mentions how he delivered the poor and comforted the widow. And this reminds us of the significance of what compassion looks like, because every one of us can make a big difference in the lives of those that are in need. You know, it could be as simple as, you know, offering a helping hand or a listening ear to somebody that really needs somebody to, you know, hear them out or a comforting presence to someone who is struggling, right? Another lesson that we can draw from this reading is Job's legacy wasn't about the material possessions as he amassed, but the impact that he had on others. See, Job had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of livestock. He was like the equivalent of, you know, Donald Trump back in his day. He owned a lot. But it was about the impact that he had on others. Now, this underscores the importance of being a source of hope and support to those around us. And as average men and women, our true worth lies in the kindness, love, and care that we extend to our families, friends, and community. Now, then there's another lesson that we can learn from this because Job's story, all right, if we're going to kind of have another lesson, lesson number four here is Job's story encourages us to be strong in the face of adversity. Now, that generally seems to be a pretty standard lesson, right? Chapter after chapter. And despite his trials and tribulations, he remained resilient. Now, in our lives, we face challenges of our own. I mean, we're always going to be facing challenges of our own. And we can draw strength from Job's example and approach these challenges with determination, knowing that we have the inner fortitude to endure and overcome. So overall, ladies and gentlemen, in conclusion to all of this, I think it's really relevant that we remember that these lessons that are from Job's parables here that we just read are not confined to just ancient times and ancient texts, but are they're timeless and they are applicable to our own lives as well. Because, you know, with gratitude, as long as we remain in gratitude and compassion and resilience, we will find a path to a more meaningful and fulfilling life. And, and may we all strive to be lights in the darkness and pillars of support for those in need and to be a source of hope in our communities. See, we really need to focus or keep in focus, I should say, just exactly what truly matters in this life. And it isn't just about material possessions, right? As we kind of read in yesterday's chapter when it comes to wisdom, right? Because you can't buy wisdom. doesn't matter how much wealth or how many possessions you amass. You're not going to buy wisdom. That's something that is sought after on a much deeper level, right? In order to get wisdom means to have a true fear of the Lord and to reject and drop all evil things, right? To, to, to step away from evil doings. We, we really need to be that firm rock, right? That firm rock of foundation for those who are on rocky and shaky ground on their own terms, right? On their own turf. So we have to be that crutch for those who are wounded on every sense of the word that you can imagine until they can gain enough strength to stand firm on their own. So 
That, like I said, is the reading of Job chapter 29, and that is our little summary. Now, we're going to take a quick little break here. Um, actually, no, we're not going to take a break because we're only 11 minutes into this show. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into the next part of the of the show because, like I said, I don't really have a whole lot for you today, but there is some stuff that I actually wanted to play uh, because it is very important. So as you all know, uh, where I work at, they want to get involved uh, with Truckers Against Trafficking, which I think is great. Now. I hope and truly hope that this Trackers Against Trafficking is a sincere, legit organization that is not infiltrated at the top by scumbags because, you know, you just never know. I mean, because let's just face it, Truckers Against Trafficking is still a 501c3, okay, just like a lot of churches. It is still kind of a branch, you know, off stemmed off from the government, all right? <clears throat> so my hope and prayer is that the Struckers Against Trafficking organization is legit, and I have everything in my being that tells me I think we, we are fine with it. But again, I'm still entering into this, you know, with eyes wide open. But on their app, they have something that's very, very interesting. Um, there was a podcast they had, and I think it was called Man to Man, all right, discussing really honestly and i don't really like this term but a true genuine toxic masculinity of what is displayed with men who objectify women and who try to sell women and children for sexual acts and deeds as well as sex buyers okay this is why i've i've titled the show societal toxicity because this is not just a a man issue this is a people issue this is a human being issue this is this is a this is a societal issue now i want to get right into it we're going to get right into the meat and potatoes all right because i'm not going to pull any punches so here's the first audio let's let's just dig into this i got three audio cuts this one's the longest but we're going to take breaks off and on here just get just give this a listen to start with um, just talking briefly about some statistical information. 89% of people in prostitution want to leave prostitution. When I start talking to people about prostitution, especially with sex buyers, when I'm working with them, it's the issue of choice. One of the ways that I like to get to that with the groups of sex buyers is I will point out to them that anything that we choose to do or don't do is a choice and that we have to look at the conditions under which choices are made. I've got a bad choice and I've got a worse choice. So I think I'll take the bad choice. They are um, there because someone else is uh, using power control over them or because of a lack of options that they have. And again, those bad paths, which one do I choose? 73% of people in prostitution are physically assaulted. 53% report that they're raped during their time in prostitution. 75% have been homeless. 68% meet the criteria for PTSD. 48% use drugs. 52% use alcohol. It's at that point in a lot of presentations that I do that people think that they've got it and say, oh, oh, so that explains it. They're using the, the, they're doing the prostitution in order to pay for the drugs, in order to pay for the alcohol. But that's, putting the cart before the horse, because for most people in prostitution that I've known, it doesn't start with the drugs. It starts with the prostitution. You know, at the end of the night, somebody gives you a drink. I don't know about you, but I would say, do you have two? Can you, know, and can you make it a little something stronger? 
not because I want to get high or because I want to get loose, but because the location of my trauma is in my body. And I want to numb out. I want to kill that pain. And I want to dissociate. This, this specific exercise is going to be much more about the continuum as the range of forms of sexual violence that somebody can experience. And it can be helpful breaking it into a continuum because I think many times we think about just the most horrific and the most overt forms and don't see how they're connected to a lot of other forms of, of, of sexual violence as well. So if we're gonna think of the sexual violence continuum as this range of behaviors going from pretty low level stuff, things that we might not even normally think of as being violent, to very high level stuff, what would be the highest level? What would be the worst form of sexual violence that you can think of? Rape. Certainly, um, we put rape very high on the continuum. Is there something worse than rape that we can think of? Death. Yeah, so sexualized murder. So way before we get to this level of sexual violence, though, we could look at low-level forms. And it's important to look at some of the lower-level forms of sexual violence and see how they're connected up to these larger levels. So if we think of things on the lowest end, are there forms of sexual violence you can think of that aren't physical, that maybe aren't even verbal? Leering. Uh, making inappropriate comments. Absolutely. Do you think women in prostitution experience leering, being catcalled, inappropriate comments? Absolutely. Our society has created a, a place for men to um, not have to take responsibility for their actions, whether that's a catcall or sexually assaulting someone or um, or being a trafficker to a uh, sex trafficking victim. And they That's right. You see, this whole thing that these people, and when I say these people, the people that often go on TV and want to cry, uh, oh, we, we need to do away with toxic masculinity. Well, I hate to break it to you, but it's these systems and the people at the very tippy top and that that promote this type of behavior. You see, th again, this is a societal toxicity that we're dealing with here. Um, sin beyond comprehension. See, if you're trying to destroy a nation, you've got to demoralize society. You've got to demoralize men and women. You've got to break them down. And what, what, men have been taught seemingly is how to objectify women. And that's a big problem. That's a very big problem in our culture. There's no respect for the female anymore, at least among most, not all men, because I, I believe there's a lot of good men out there, but society and culture has taught us through magazines and through garbage music and hip hop industry and the heavy metal industry and the porn industry and the movie industry. And you God knows what other industries out there that, Hey, it's okay to objectify women. It's okay to look at them and leer at them and do the coyote call, the cat call or whatever they call it. You know, it, they, they, they do this. They set this up on purpose because 
you know, you objectify women, then you make men look like garbage because now they have no respect for women. And then you throw in pornography in the mix and pornography certainly destroys families and it destroys, you know, men and women psychologically, because now you build up something in your mind that you think should be reality when in when actual reality it is far from it therefore you can't even have a real meaningful relationship with anybody when you do find that special person at the end of the day what they've done is they've taken our country and our society and they've jacked it all up and they've basically turned it into one big messy sinful nation let's continue listening but they have created this they created this toxic masculinity and it's a term that i always used to you know kind of poo poo but if there is any form of toxic masculinity, if I'm going to be completely open and honest about my thoughts on that term, yes, there is a true toxic masculinity. And that starts with men acting like little, I almost said a bad word, but buttholes towards women by looking at them like they're, they are an object. They are not objects. They are not such sex objects. Let's continue listening to, to this, uh, what he has to say here. Especially experience the se second form of sexual harassment. It's in Latin and it's called quid pro quo sexual harassment. Anybody know what that means? This for that. Okay, this for that. This is the sexual harassment where it's the boss who says, if you sleep with me, you'll get a raise or you'll keep your job. It's the teacher, sleep with me, you'll get an A or you'll pass the class. And I would say to everybody here, what is prostitution if not quid pro quo sexual harassment? Because I was trafficked in Las Vegas, there are many people who believe that prostitution is legal there. The buyers who had beat me, who have raped me, who had um, stole money from me, and then my trafficker beat me later for that. The buyers who were the most violent to me were the ones that believed prostitution was legal in Clark County. And I believe that they were as violent to me as they were because they thought it was okay. That they thought they were in an okay place where they were legally allowed to do this. See, that's crap. See, the, the, what she just said right there, and I'm not saying what she said is crap, but the, what, what, what she, what, but in a way, what, okay, hold on. Cause that came out bad. It's not what she said is crap, but what I'm saying is the idea that these men, they can go to a place like Vegas where they think it's legal. Prostitution is legal. And she just said something very interesting, but also it was a very sad statement to, to really hear that the people who go there into Vegas to go buy sex. They think it's legal. They think it's fine. And she said those are the ones that are oftentimes the most violent. That is absolute BS. There should be no reason for that. There is a very huge disconnect in our society. And, and for that to exist, I, I just... I, I have really honestly no words to react to that. I, I just, my heart breaks hearing that. We can talk about other forms of sexual assault. We can talk about force, coercion, pressure into sexual activity, threats we can put up there too. And I think what we miss 
when we get in those line drawing debates is what all of these things have in common. And they share a common foundation because the sexual violence continuum is rooted in sexual objectification, right? In order to do violence to anybody, you need to objectify them, turn them into something different than you are. In order to do sexual violence, you need to sexually objectify them. And that's the thing that, that's in common. You're treating somebody as an object, whether you're leering at them, whether you're demanding sexual access through quid pro quo, you're pressuring or coercing them into sex, you're raping them, mutilating, or murdering them. Not to say that these things are equivalent. I mean, obviously they're not, but they are connected. And these lower level things have the power that they do because the higher level things are there as well. Over 70% of men who buy sex say they either agree or strongly agree with this statement, I want to stop buying sex. Well, here's the thing. If you want to stop buying sex, I want you to go back and grab your Bible, open it up and start reading it. All right. And I'm not trying to sound like a judgy, judgy person here, but look, I put out some statistics the other day on a different podcast show just last week. I want to say it was, and what were some of those statistics? Okay. If somebody reads the Bible on average four times a week, there was a bunch of statistics that I dropped, but it said right there that people who engage with sex outside of the marriage drops, I think, what was it, 61% or 62%, and those who engage in viewing pornography drop 68%. Those are big numbers. If 70% of men who are sex buyers agree with the statement of, I want to stop buying sex, all they got to do is get to know the Lord get to know God the Father in heaven, open up that Holy Bible and just start reading. I prefer Proverbs personally. Some might argue the book of Matthew or John, but you start somewhere. Open up the Bible and you start reading four times a week. You might not understand what you're reading, but you're going to at least internalize it. Inter you're going to internalize it subconsciously. You might not be able to comprehend what they're reading, but if you're reading it, trust me, something is happening in you and transformation is occurring, continuing. As a trained therapist, one of the things I see all the time, and I know was true in my own life, is that uh, pain that's not transformed becomes pain that's transmitted. Uh, said in a simpler way, hurting people hurt people. See, that's very interesting. I want to go back to that for a second. Hold on a second. Let me re re rewind that for a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's play that again. Pain that's not transformed becomes pain that's transmitted. Pain that is not transformed turns into pain that is transmitted. So in other words, if you don't find healing and peace within you, and you're going to continue to hurt, well, guess what? You're going to continue hurting others because you are hurt. But see, if you read the Bible and you draw closer to Jesus and you develop that bond and that intimate relationship with Father, that hurt will transform you internally into having peace. That's why reading your Bible, whether if you understand what you're reading or not, is so valuable, why it's so relevant. 
uh, said in a simpler way, hurting people hurt people. Uh, I'm a licensed counselor and I have been for about 25 years. I primarily work with uh, men and couples that are experiencing some kind of sexual brokenness. How I got into that quite accidentally is that that's my own story. I was uh, a licensed counselor for um, a couple of years when when my own addiction um, and story kind of came to the surface. I was um, sexually abused uh, around the age of eight. I had an uncle who was uh, very sadistic and who abused myself and a number of my older siblings who have since corroborated this. And that uncle was involved in um, selling myself to male friends in the community uh, to be involved with them sexually. But fast forward many, many years in the early 2000s, and I started having um, pretty surprising symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. So the pain that I was carrying around and the trauma and the survival coping strategies that had been part of my life just to make it through, I began to um, act out sexually in a very, very secretive way basically looking for pornography everywhere I went. I believe the, the deepest longing in our heart as human beings is to be known. And so if I'm wanting someone to know me and love me, but I've committed to going through life with this wall of being somebody who I'm really not, then I can never really be loved for who I am. And I set up this vicious cycle of needing more of something outside of me to validate me. And sex becomes like the perfect thing for that. And in my life, the only thing that got between myself and the compulsive sexual behavior that I knew was, quote, wrong and that I didn't really want to be a part of was me coming to the end of myself and being caught. And when I was caught, I could no longer maintain this illusion. Whether or not I morally believed that it was right or wrong, I knew deep down that what I was doing at someone's expense, it was an arrangement of, I'll give you what you want and you give me what I want. You want and need money for whatever reason. And what I want is sex or what sex represented. And in my case, I remember going to buy sex and thinking, I don't really want sex, I just want to be held. Which again is that sense of, I want to be soothed and comforted. And with my story of abuse, I had no idea how to get that on a healthy level. One of the things that people want to jump to initially is, well, this must be an addictive behavior. It must be a compulsion. But in fact, it's, not, it's really not. It's not about an addictive or compulsive behavior. For some it is. Uh, but for most, it's much more about kind of gender socialization or the, the stuff that you've been wanting to talk about, the toxic masculinity stuff that, that, that is at the root of a lot of this. Yeah, this idea of toxic masculinity is, I think it's newer for me. It's a buzzword that now I'm more aware of. Toxic masculinity is a little confusing for me. I just, I just call it fake masculinity, kind of, kind of counterfeit masculinity. Yeah, I kind of like how we put that fake masculinity because real masculinity would not do this to women and, or, or anybody for that matter. Men, women, children, real masculine men are protectors. Real masculine men are lovers and followers of Jesus. Real masculine men are loving 
again, they're protecting. They are... They are the ones that will fight to the death for those that they care for most. But those out there who think they are being men and they are sleeping with anybody and everybody under the sun and they're paying for sex and they are just, you know, they think they are the stud of the crowd. Those are sorry, sad individuals. Basics are easily like strong. You have to be a strong man. You can't show emotions. You can't show weakness. There's only one allowed emotion, and that's anger. Man is hard-hearted, takes control. There's no sadness. There's no, there's no fear. There's no empathy for, for what this woman or this person may be feeling. Knows what he wants, doesn't look back, decides his future. But, you know, all these ideas that, you know, man's in control. You have to be the breadwinner. You... Yeah, that's very basic. He said something very profound there, right? That's that's the myth that men think that you're in control. You are in control. Guess what? You're not in control. That's why you want to make God laugh. Just make your own plans, okay? God is in control, not man, God. I've been since times and decades have been pretty similar. Some of those characteristics can be really detrimental and destructive. I was applauded and encouraged to have multiple women most of my life. And if I didn't, I was something less than what, what made my, you know, people proud of me. As boys and men. Very interesting. I have two more audio pieces that I'm gonna play here. Now, if you have children listening, I'm gonna tell you right now, the next two audio pieces are gonna be quite, um, they're going to be quite uh, colorful with a little bit of the language here because, and you'll understand why, but I'm just going to tell you right now for at least the next five to six minutes, you might want to turn this down or send your children out of the room. Okay. Because it is quite colorful, not F-bomb colorful, but it ranks up there and you'll understand why when you hear it. Let's continue on with this audio. Cut two. Maybe. If I, if I was to ask you, is a real man expected to be strong or weak, what would you say? Strong. Strong. Our society has made it very normal for men to seem like they need to um, bottle up their emotions, that they need to not cry, that they need to um, provide and protect, but not emotionally. In reality, how many of us could meet this standard all the time? We're always strong, never have any emotions except for anger, pride, and horny, great at sports, never lose, never lost a fight, lots of sex and sex partners, we're big, independent. <laughs> Quick show of hands, who, who meets that standard? It's a ridiculous question, right? Because none of us can measure up to that all the time. But I think it's kind of a dirty little secret of men that we spend a lot of time and energy pretending that we measure up to this. And a good way to understand why we do that is to take a look at some of the names that we might get called by our male peers if we're seen as outside this box, if we're not seen as strong but weak, or if we show our emotions, or if we're not interested in sex with girls. So what are some of the names that he might get called? Well, I can remember, you know, I wanted very much so to not have sex until I got married. I mean, they called me a queer. Okay, so that's uh, one thing. Yep. Call you a queer. Wait, you're queer? You, you never had sex? You must be gay. Mm -hmm. A little girl. A little girl, a pussy, gay, sissy, bitch. Right. And so are you noticing a pattern? What do these names have to do with? 
being a girl or being a gay man. And so what does this tell us about the way a quote real man thinks about women and gay men? In a negative. Negative, that they're subordinate, that the worst thing that I could get called is to get called these names. And suppose I do get called these names. Suppose somebody says, Peter, you queer little girl, pussy gay, sissy punk bitch. Inside I'm afraid that if I get put into outside this box, I'll be in a class with women and gay men and it will make me vulnerable to other men's violence. That's right. See, this is the stigma that men don't want to fall into that box, right? That that's the stigma that 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 men want to try to stay away from. They don't want to be considered, you know, a little Nancy boy. They don't want to be considered a little queer. Well, what's the matter? What you a little goody goody? You don't want to have sex until you get married? What, what kind of gay stuff is that? Like that's what they want to avoid they, because nobody okay and and this is see and this is why i say i don't even care what people say about me all right i wish i had this mentality years ago when i was in high school and even before that but i really don't care what people think or what they say about me because quite frankly i've unfriended the world a long time ago now and so what people call me what they say about me they could say whatever they want i don't care all right. And, and, and that goes the same with, you know, w- with, with this whole thing, you know, I, it, our society is so messed up. How it got here is beyond my understanding. But what I do know is how we fix it is by turning our hearts over to Jesus, because that is the only way that we can transform our society into honestly a moral people but see there's that pesky thing again called free will and as long as we have the marketers and the liars out there that are in charge of making commercials and sitcoms and and writing magazine articles and things like that they are the ones that are basically shaping society and what you need to how you need to be shaped in, you know, what you need to be shaped into, how you need to formulate and uh, what's the word I'm looking for, how you need to mesh with society. They tell you what's cool and you need to follow that trend. See, and that's another thing. I can't stand trends or fashion or anything like that. Why? Because you're following what somebody else is telling you you should do or say or dress or or how you're supposed to decorate your house or how you're supposed to have sex or how you're supposed to identify yourself. You're not supposed to identify yourself as man or female man or woman. No, you're not cool unless you say you're non-binary or you're cisgender. Like you're not accepted in society unless you start categorizing yourself outside of the, you know, the typical two genders. Like this is the kind of nonsense that has plagued our nation and our society. Folks, this is what it means to not be friends with the world. Do not be friends with the world. Who gives a flying crap what anybody says about you? Do what's right. Do what's righteous in the eyes of the Lord. Don't comply or impress people that don't matter. Who cares about man? What can man or woman do to you? Last clip, cut three. 
Can you see how this is related, not just to pornography use, but to sex buying later on? Yeah. When a kid is exposed to pornography at a very young age, they have not only the expectations of what sex should be like, but um, the expectations to have power over a female. We need to be conscious. We need to be awake and conscious in our own lives. So it says right here, step one, don't buy sex. Evaluate your own thinking on relationships, women, sexuality, and what it means to be a man. Is it healthy? Continuing. So if we start to become aware of what we're doing, then the next step is to change it and to realize how it's affecting not only us, but society as a whole. Step two, surround yourself with other people, media and forms of entertainment that reinforce healthy messages around manhood and sexuality. Surround yourself with men who are going to encourage you to, to be this version of man who you envision yourself being and who are going to support you and help you. And then step three, challenge the norm when it comes to sexy, uh, to, uh, sexy jokes, attitudes, or even policies in the workplace. Oh, sexist jokes. Excuse me. Challenge the norm when it comes to sexist jokes attitudes, or even policies in the workplace. Don't be afraid to lose, to lose a friend or two because you might have to. Stand on what you say, be who you, be who you say you're going to be, and, and let these guys see what that looks like because they're watching. More than they're listening, they're watching. So be who you say you're going to be. That's right. Be who you say you're going to be because they are watching. What is, what's the old slogan? What's the old thing that we always keep hearing? Talk is cheap, right? Forget what you're talking about. What are your actions reflecting? What are your actions reflecting? That one guy said something very profound. He goes, you might lose a few friends. So be it. Let them go. Let them go. Lose those friends. Are they even really your friends? If they're going to be calling you names because you're trying to live your life in the most righteous path that you possibly can live. Right, you're trying to be the best version of yourself that you're trying to achieve. You're trying to emulate and follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you got friends that are calling you sissy, queer little Nancy boys, or calling you a B I T C H, are they even really your friend? Are they even really your friend? Remember, they hated Jesus first. They're going to hate you too. So expect to lose friends. Expect to lose friends. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all I have for you tonight. Let's get into the prayer and we're going to close this out. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you with hearts filled with gratitude and for the wisdom and inspiration that we have gained from the words that we've shared and heard today. 
We thank you for the opportunity to reflect on the lessons from Job's parable and how they relate to our own lives. As we go forth from this moment, may we carry with us the teachings of gratitude, compassion, and resilience. Help us to remember that our worth is not measured by material possessions, but by the love and care that we extend to others. Guide us to be beacons of light in the darkness, a source of hope for those in need, and a comforting presence to those who are struggling. Lord, we ask that you grant us the strength to face life's challenges with determination and resilience, and we ask for your blessings upon our families, friends, and communities, and may we continue to learn, grow, and make a positive impact in this world. And we pray all of this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen, ladies and gentlemen. And I do apologize for not being live earlier at 7. Um, like I said, I had a good friend of mine come over and we just got chatting and, you know, conversation basically got lost in time. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, crud, it's uh, <laughs> it's a little after eight o'clock, man. We've been sitting here talking for two hours. So I wanted to at least get down here in the studio to, you know, do a recording drop. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you all have an outstanding day, a wonderful night wherever you're at in the world. And remember, as it states in Matthew 7, 7, this is another favorite verse of mine. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Those were words spoken by Jesus. You remember that and you will be just fine. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great day, great night, wherever you're at in the world, and we will see you back here on Wednesday, because tomorrow is a No Podcast Tuesday, because I have a Bible study I'll be attending. God bless, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you on Wednesday. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are firm, we are steadfast, and we are uncompromising. The enemy has crossed that line for the last time. It is up to people like you and I to hold that line. They've crossed the line way too many times and it is time for us to stand up this republic and get after it. We gotta do this for God. We gotta do this for our families. We gotta do this for America, for the voiceless. It's time to get after it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining the show.
don't forget to check out the website, www.hisheartline.com. And if you want to know more about how to get involved with your assembly, go to www.national-assembly.net. That's www.national-assembly.net. It's time to get active, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. Joining us here at His Heart Line. We'll see you back here next time.